This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. There are millions of kids today who are stuck in a world that doesn't respect, support, or embrace who they inherently are. These children are what some people are calling differently wired. The more than one in five children with ADHD, dyslexia, Asperger's, giftedness, anxiety, sensory processing disorder, and other neurodifferences. As anyone who has tried to parent one of these differently wired children in the one-size-fits-all world we live in will tell you it's a difficult journey, from struggles to finding the right school and support systems to battling internal doubts as to what's normal and what's not. And what about the parents who love these differently wired children? Well, the challenges are just as numerous as they struggle to find the right school, the right support, the right path. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking about differently wired children with an expert in the subject, and she has a program that will really help us shift our thinking and our actions in a way that will not only improve family dynamic, but also allow children to realize their best selves. Support for today's show comes from Navy Federal Credit Union, which has been proudly serving the armed forces, veterans, and their families for more than 80 years, federally insured by NCUA. I'm Armin Brott. Our discussion of raising an exceptional child in a conventional world starts when positive parenting continues right after this. At 4.15 p.m. at an office in Michigan, Angie Hicks is not at her desk. She's giving blood at the company blood drive. At the same time in the same office, Kevin Meehan is not at his desk. He's at the doctor. Kevin has cancer and needs another round of chemo. Kevin will need blood to fight his cancer. Angie's blood will help him win. When you give blood to the American Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-GIVE-LIFE or visit givelife.org to schedule your appointment to give blood. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brown. My guest for this part of today's show is Deborah Reber, who's the author of Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. Debbie, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about exceptional children. I, I think I, I struggle somewhat with putting ADHD and Asperger's and giftedness and anxiety and sensory processing disorder all into the same cup or silo or something do you want to call it 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 just sounds like all those things don't all belong together but you're you're putting them there and calling them differently wired can you explain how you happen to have picked so many different things to put together sure yeah, I, you know, in raising a twice exceptional kiddo, I have a kid who's gifted with ADHD and Asperger's, and then really kind of diving into this community and learning about just the different ways in which uh, differently wired kids, neurodifferences, learning differences um, are all kind of outside the norm, right? We're all moving through, especially in a school system, right. our kids sure. are struggling in some way to fit in. And my belief is that, you know, 
Yeah, there are there is having dyslexia is very different than maybe having an anxiety disorder or being on the spectrum, but there is also a commonality to our experience, especially as parents of these kids in terms of trying to figure out a path and and try to fit kids who who don't um, just fit into what currently exists uh, very easily without a lot of challenge on our part. So I wanted to kind of look at neurodiversity as a whole and just explore this idea that there is really no one way to move through the world. There's no such thing as normal. And really all of these different um, brain wirings are kind of natural variances in the human experience. And I think that if we look at it as a collective, we could have a lot more influence in changing the current system. Well, especially when you look at it as something that, that gives or can give kids difficulties. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people wouldn't think of giftedness as being in there, but I think a lot, you know, if, if you think of the gifted people you know, some of them are socially awkward or they're quirky and in strange kinds of ways. And so, yeah, they, you know, we don't think about it. We think, oh, he's so smart um, or she's so musical or whatever, but you don't think that that might also be related to some of the other issues they have. Yeah, I mean, giftedness, and that was news to me, you know, when Asher was quite young, that was one of the first things that was suggested for us. And I really bristled at that term um, because it just, I was like, I don't like that label. Um, But one of the coaches we worked with had explained that being gifted is a special need in its own right. And when you look at the statistics about, you know, the levels of depression or anxiety or not you know, thriving or being unemployed for people who are gifted, it's much higher than someone who isn't. So they live life in a more intense way than a lot of people. It's interesting, though, because I have interviewed a few people who have, have written books, something along the lines of the gift of dyslexia or the gift of autism or something. And, you know, there's a lot of pushback that comes from people on different ends of that argument. I mean, some people mm-hmm. think that it, it is a gift because it it opens up all sorts of wonderful capabilities, but other people say, no, this is not a gift at all. Mm-hmm. This is this is not a good thing. Uh, we don't, it is. you know, it, it's a disability and requires different sorts of interventions than, than something else is. And, and you know, the, the, there just becomes politics involved in the whole thing after a while. It becomes a, a difficult conversation. What, what do you think about that, though? Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, within members of the differently wired community, and especially um, atypical adults, there's all kinds of opinions on it. You know, I believe that there are gifts that come with different ways of moving through the world. You know, I believe my son's neuro differences are part of what makes him really unique and a nonconformist and a creative problem solver. And it comes with challenges, right? As, as, does everyone has challenges in life, but I think what I'm pushing for is a more expansive definition of what it means to, to, you know, to just kind of be, be human, to, to, to go through, you know, our educational journey. And I, what I'm trying to push back on is these kids um, growing up feeling like they're broken or there's something wrong with them. And that it's their job to, adapt who they are in order to conform to society. I think mm-hmm. we need to realize that there are different ways of learning and just because it's different doesn't mean it's a negative thing. Right. Well, I think that's that's one of the things you talk about quite a bit is, is learning your child's language. And there's actually a, a picture that's in the press release that not or probably no one who's listening to this will have seen, 
because it's not in the book, but it's a picture of you and your son. And I was looking at that and thinking, I wonder if you looked at that and were sad or disappointed or because you must have had many, many different pictures to, to choose from. But it's you and he and he's sitting together and he's kind of leaning away from you a little bit. And but this is clearly I mean, you have clearly gotten comfortable with the idea that he probably doesn't like to be hugged as much. And I mean, am I reading that completely wrong? Yeah, I, he actually is totally fine with being. Oh, young, okay. But, um, no, <laughs> well, there think, we are. All those assumptions I, I was just making. Was, yeah, I think he's he he. You know, fo- getting photographed isn't his favorite thing for sure. So okay. I think you were seeing some of that uncomfortableness there. Um, okay. But uh, yeah. So, but you don't uh, seem uncomfortable at all in that picture. I'm saying so. It just yeah. You know, it's like well, all right. So that may <laughs> yeah, not be the best yeah. example of learning your child's yeah. language. But why don't you talk about more? So, but the about that and and how we do that. Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, when I talk about language, and it's interesting, I thought about that as I was, you know, we moved to the Netherlands, and I was learning Dutch. And so I was very much thinking about this idea of immersing yourself in another culture and really um, looking at the nuances of another language. And that's really what I had to do with Asher. And what I encourage parents to do is to rather than you know, just kind of forge ahead with our own uh, parenting philosophy or the books we read and then applying those techniques, which may completely miss the mark with who our kid is. And so it's really about recognizing, you know, what all of their behavior, their big behavior, their anxious behavior, their meltdowns, their moodiness, whatever it is, what is that communicating to us? And it's our job to, you know, create our own you know, a translation guide and really start to pay attention to how we're trying to communicate to our kids because they need to be able to understand our messaging to them as well. So it takes a lot of time and kind of being a detective in some ways to understand your kid's language. But it's worth the effort. It's so worth the effort. I'll just give a little example that, you know, right now, Asher's going to be 14. So I homeschool him. But in the afternoons, I'll often go work somewhere out of the house just to have a few hours. And we communicate via Skype and, you know, just check-ins all the time. But if he sends me a note that says, you know, are we going out tonight? You know, at like four in the afternoon, what I know he's really asking me is, can I get in my pajamas now? You know, I've had a rough day. (laughs) I want to get cozy. You know, so it's just little things like that. It's really tuning into the way they're communicating their needs to us, their emotions, and their big feelings. And how do you begin if you haven't done that kind of thing? Because I think so many parents have just, they aren't as as fortunate as, as you are or as I am to be able to work someplace else where they can be in contact with the kids. You just have, they're rushing all the time. They rush home. They make dinner. They put the kids to bed. You don't really have time to to get to know your child and, and sometimes it just results in a lot of frustration that you yeah. don't think that your child is understanding what you want to say and that, that why will the kid always do this and you know having that that extra couple of of seconds or minutes to think about stuff is is the it, it's a, a rare commodity mm-hmm. i mean i think that when we as parents are having a strong uh reaction to something our child is done or is saying or the way they're behaving, that is an invitation for ourselves to 
realize that we're having a communication problem. So it really does, it takes a conscious effort and, and in setting an intention every day to start to notice those things. And if we're having a strong reaction, it's usually because, you know, we're displeased or something about the way our kids' behavior is we feel like it sh they should be doing something differently or maybe they're manipulating us or whatever we're, we're thinking. But that is an indicator that our child doesn't have the skills to do something different and that we have a disconnect. And so, you know, I believe all behavior is communication. And I believe what Dr. Ross Green says, that kids do well when they can. So our job, because we're the adults here and um, we're in a better position to do it, is when we feel that kind of push, uh, you know, we're pushed up against that kind of behavior and we're having a strong reaction is to stop or if we can in that moment, reflect on it later and think, okay, what did I think this kid was doing? Um, what was he trying to do or she trying to do? And what, what assumptions did I make? And then try to get to the deeper in terms of what was really going on. Talking with Deborah Reber, who's the author of Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Debbie. Bullying is not kids being kids. It's not about good homes or bad homes. It's not a normal part of growing up. I shouldn't be afraid to get on the school bus. To turn on my computer. Message from locked in my locker. Did you know that a bully will stop his or her behavior in 10 seconds when their peers speak up? Use your voice. Hey, leave him alone. We have the power to stop bullying. Find out more at bullying.org. Where you're not alone. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. If you're just joining us, talking with Debbie Reber, who's the author of Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. You know, one of the things that, that you talk about that's especially poignant is how, and you, you've mentioned the, the phrase a couple of times, the differently wired community, that in addition to thinking that maybe there's something wrong with our kids, that people who have differently wired children may end up thinking that there's something wrong with them and don't know where to go for, for help or support or guidance. And talk about that community and, and how you discovered it and, and where people can go and how to, how to access the wisdom that's out there and the support. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest problems when we first discover that, you know, our path is, or we're going off-roading, you know, from the main path, is there's that sense of... Um, it's not shame. I, I guess it can be in some in some people's minds, but we tend to isolate ourselves and go within because we're concerned about stigma or we're just confused. Our friends don't really get it necessarily. And so we feel just this sense of overwhelm and being alone in this. And, you know, that was one of my big inspirations for founding Tilt Parenting because I couldn't find my people. Like I couldn't find community in a way that felt actually optimistic to me. Some of the Facebook groups were helpful for venting, um, which is also an important thing to do when you've had a bad day. But I wanted something that felt hopeful and informative and inspiring. Um, and in doing, you know, I'm doing this book tour right now. And um, so I've been meeting with this community and there are so many of us who are so hungry for connection 
And it's been fascinating to see sometimes at these events, groups of uh, parents will come up to me afterwards and say, I've lived in the same community. I've seen these people at school and I had no idea they were going through the same thing as I was. And we're going to form a group. And, you know, so I think it's important um, for us to find our tribe. You know, I created Tilt Parenting to be one home for um, people to connect. But, um, you know, Facebook is really can be really helpful if you find the right groups. And another resource I'll share is understood.org, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and they have parent forums. And um, I feel like as awareness is growing and parents are being more vocal about what's happening, we're better able to find each other. Yeah. And it's it's really important to have somebody, whether it's a, a in-person person or a group of some kind, to be able to, to share these ideas with. And there's another part that you talk about, which is self-care. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it's you know, you, you hear this kind of thing comes up when you're talking about caring for an aging parent or a, a sick relative or something like that, that the caregivers often neglect themselves. But that part of it's important, too. Yeah, and I was just talking with a group of parents about this earlier today. I feel like self-care can come across as this kind of trite thing or something you read in a O magazine or something, and it's like, oh, what does that even mean? And But it really is not an optional thing for parents with atypical kids. We have to take care of ourselves, even if it's just doing one small intentional act a day that's just for you. And for me, some days it's just you know, listening to a podcast while I'm cooking dinner, you know, it can be something really little, but something that feels like you're doing something to recharge or restore, you know, your, your batteries, because we can put all our energy on our kids or, you know, and into fixing or not fixing, but finding them support and driving them to therapies and negotiating with teachers. And it is exhausting. So we have to be able to replenish. And, how do you tell people? I mean, so the understood.org and, and Tilt Parenting are, are a couple, but, you know, there there are also local resources that people should be connecting with their school, their school district there to, to get uh, evaluations and things like that. Where Where do people even begin to decide whether they have an atypical child or a neurodiverse child, differently wired child, whatever we want to call them? Yeah, that's the tricky thing is that these kids often we don't know right away and their differences are invisible. And then you might get conflicting, you know, reports. Uh, You might have a pediatrician who says, I think this is all normal. But then you're getting feedback from school that it's not. Um, There's no one way to go. I think that if you feel that your child is differently wired or you recognize that they're struggling in some area of their social or, you know, cognitive development, or they're struggling at school with anxiety or something's going on, um, start with your pediatrician and see if they can make um, a recommendation. But I do recommend people kind of talk openly in communities where you feel safe, but talk openly about what's going on because otherwise no one is going to know and, and understand how to, to help you, you know, or, or where to direct you. I, when we start talking, we realize, Oh, this you've been through this. Oh, okay. You know, Again, we're everywhere. 20% of kids are differently wired. You just imagine how many, at least 20%. The parents are everywhere, too, in every classroom, every school, every Girl Scout troop, you know. Um, so it's, it's 
it's, it is being a detective in the beginning and um, asking around and trying to get some recommendations locally. Do you think that the way parents deal with boys who are differently wired than, is different than the way they, they deal with girls? Yeah, I think girls, well, the research shows that girls are very underdiagnosed, um, both with ADHD and with autism, because it presents differently. Um, so that's challenging. A lot of uh, girls don't get identified until much later, if at all. So that creates struggles. And I think a lot of boys, you know, especially boys with ADHD, that often can fall under, you know, just the umbrella of rowdy boy behavior, or, you know, it can be a little harder um, to find out or to get someone to even explore that there might be something else going on because, you know, boys have, stereotypically are, are rowdier or more active um, right. in some ways. So, yeah, I think it can be it can be challenging. Well, I mean, as far as getting help, I mean, there's also a sense with the, that a lot of parents, their, their fathers and mothers are, are often a little tougher on boys and as far as offering help or providing an environment where asking for help is okay, where I think that's hmm. a little, there's a little less stigma associated with that with girls. Yeah, I guess so. I actually, um, I haven't thought of it that way uh, before only, you know, I only have one child, a boy, and that's not the culture that we have, you know, in our right, home. Obviously. I haven't, I haven't heard that from too many people. Um, I've heard, um, but I would agree with you. I think that probably is a a problem depending on, on the structure of the family and the dynamic and what parenting philosophy, you know, that's not okay to be emotional or sensitive as a boy for sure. Um, and I've also heard, you know, or I know from talking to friends that having a differently wired child of color brings up all other kinds of challenges because, oh, yeah. um, their, the way that their behavior is perceived in many school systems is more harshly anyway, and they'll be less likely to look at, some sort of a neuro difference as the cause. So oh, yeah. it's really yeah. challenging. Yeah. African American boys are I don't even know what it is. It's like three or four times more likely to be suspended from school anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, when you throw in some some behavioral challenges that might come with any of the things that we've been talking about, that just is gonna make it even even more so. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, we're talking about changing parents and changing you know, changing the environment, but there also has to be some top-down or from a, a different direction anyway, so that we can get some more acceptance for these kids. How does that happen? If I knew the answer to that, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, no. I think it's the school, you know, I think where I would like to focus energy, um, you know, down the road and where I see a lot of forward momentum is in the school system. You know, the kid's job really uh, when they're younger is to, you know, to play and to learn. And they spend a lot of time at school. And I think um, I'm optimistic about uh, there seems to be a growing awareness of the different ways that kids are showing up in school and a a willingness in some school districts and areas to uh, better accommodate those students. But I think we need to expand we need to look at our whole educational system and expand uh, our expectations and just the way we design classrooms. I would say even for neurotypical kids, the current educational model isn't a great fit for most kids. You know, it's really about pushing them through a system or getting them through this so they can get on with their, their work as adults or college or whatever it is. And um, I'd love to see us change that so kids can be more, 
uh, able to and supported in learning the way that that they would naturally learn. Deborah Reber is the author of Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. She's also the founder of Tilt Parenting, and the website is just is at tiltparenting.com? That's correct. Okay. Debbie, thanks very much. Thank you. You've just seen your doctor, and he's ordered blood work, x-rays, and other tests. But what does it all mean? Well, you should ask. The single most important thing you can do for your health is to ask questions. Be an informed and active member of your healthcare team. Remember, your health begins with you. To learn the types of questions to ask, get the brochure, be prepared for medical appointments at ahrq.gov consumer. A message from the U.S. Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. Well, the weather was brutally hot a little earlier in the summer. Now things seem to be settling down, and these days we're trying to spend as much time outside as humanly possible. If you're looking to join us, here are some fun options. Super Spinner from Super Spinner. A fun twist on the tire tree swing. The Super Spinner is a UFO shape, that's according to a 10-year-old, disc swing that lets one or more kids, and even a parent, take a ride. Its adjustable double-braided ropes and weather-resistant clips are designed for a safer, more comfortable ride, according to the manufacturer. Super Spinner can be suspended to swing and spin from trees, play sets, a porch, or any other secure structural beam that works for your family. There are two sizes of Super Spinner available. The original can accommodate one or two little kids and can hold up to 200 pounds. It's available in green, blue, red, purple, pink, or yellow. The larger Super Duper Spinner lets more kids and adults ride and can hold up to 650 pounds. It's available only in Hunter Green. Costs between $49.99 and $89.99 at stores like Amazon or Target. Pool Floats from Intex. Heading down to the pool? Well, don't forget your sunscreen and fun float. Intex makes a fantastic assortment of floats your family is sure to love. One of our favorites this year is the inflatable Mega Unicorn, which is very colorful, very magical, and very durable. And no, it's not just for girls. Turns out that boys love it too, and so do moms and dads. Another new design this year is the Peacock. But previous year's designs are still out there, including Mega Swan, Mega Flamingo, and Mega Duck Island floats. It's a tough choice, so you may end up with more than one. They're about $30 at IntexCorp.com. Brooks Pure Flow 7 from Brooks Running. Feeling like running away? Well, you can do it in style with the Brooks Pure Flow 7. These sneakers are ready to go right out of the box and don't need any wearing in period, which is a rare thing with shoes these days. They're comfortable with plenty of cushioning and are great for running, long walks, even on trails, or the gym. Brooks refers to the fit as sock-like. The stretch-woven upper and soft internal booty allow your feet to feel comfortable and unrestricted. And after wearing them around for a while, it's hard to disagree with that. They're available in six colors for women and five for men, so you won't have any trouble finding a pair to match your taste and wardrobe. They're about 100 bucks. Find out more at brooksrunning.com. Lightwave 50 from Ceres. Although Ceres products are usually associated with winter, 
Their new LightWave 50 line is designed to keep your skin safe from the sun's harmful rays in any season. The fabrics are thin, fast-wicking, and offer UPF 50 protection, and will keep you cool even when it's steamy hot out. There are a lot of items to choose from, including the neck up, which covers the vulnerable neck and face areas that are especially susceptible to burning. LightWave 50 products come in a variety of colors and prints. Prices vary. You can find out more at Cirrus.com, which is S-E-I-R-U-S.com. The Quick Shade Caster and Floppy Hat from Cirrus. For even more shade, the Quick Shade Caster and Floppy Hat are both ideal, especially if you or your loved ones are fair-skinned and burn easily. The caster not only shelters your face with its broad rim, but also your neck using a bandana-type covering that stays securely attached to your shirt collar with a built-in clip and tether. The floppy hat shades your face and neck and is built to maintain its shape all summer long. Machine wash, hang to dry. Measure your head size before you order, though. Prices vary. More at cirrus.com. You can get reviews of a lot more toys and games and activities and all sorts of other things to do with your family all summer long and into many, many other seasons as well at our website, parentsatplay.com. We'll be back with another show for you next week, but don't go yet because there's a lot more of this show coming right up. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. The challenger wears white trunks with a blue stripe, and the champ is wearing, uh, looks like an examination gown from the doctor's office. And from the back, we can... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the crazy getup? I've got to take care of my family. Yeah, so? Well, when you love your family, you got to go in and get those important medical screenings. A lot of potentially deadly diseases can be treated if you catch them in time. So you wear the examination gown because... Because I'm a real man. Real men take care of their families and get those tests. Real men wear gowns. Okay, champ. Good luck. Here we go. <laughs> the champ's not wasting any time. <laughs> oh. It's over. This fight is over. Champ, you barely broke a sweat. Any words for your fans out there? Remember, go to ahrq.gov for a list of the tests they need to get and when to get them. What was that web address again? ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. Hello and welcome to the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. What if we could identify microbes in our gut that correlate with stress resilience and expose our kids to them and then test the results? What if memory and learning and even overall well-being could significantly improve after eating more of certain foods or minerals like blueberries or magnesium or getting exercise? And what if merely smelling sweat before completing an anxiety-inducing task could measurably improve your performance? Well, those are just a few of the questions that science writer and mother of two, Jenna Pincott, asked herself as she prodded and poked her kid's natural environment, creating a situation that she calls biohacking 
and she reserved and chronicled the results. Now, of course, she's the first person to admit that a sample size of two children does not make for an earth-shattering scientific discovery. But she was looking at hard scientific studies and then trying to put those into play in her own kitchen and her own living room with her own kids. And she did get a lot of interesting results, specifically that the ingredients for the traits that we all want for our kids, resilience, focus, perseverance, mind-body connection, and more, may actually be all around us in the natural world. So stick with us as we do some biohacking right after this. Hey, parents, introducing the Communicizer. Go from boring old man speak. Oh, you know, I'm here if you want to talk. To 100% off the chain. Text me whenever, yo. I love you, Dad. Communicizer is not available in stores because it doesn't exist. But that's okay. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Because kids in foster care don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, go to AdoptUsKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. My guest for this part of today's show is Jenna Pincott, who's the author of Wits, Guts, Grit, All Natural Biohacks for Raising Smart, Resilient Children. Jenna, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me here. Well, I'm imagining that you're a Piaget fan, because it sounded like in a, in a lot of ways what you were doing was scientific experiments with your own kids, in a very safe way, of course. Um, yeah. So tell tell us about how how this book came about and is is structured and where the information came from because it's 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 different than most parenting books we get here. Sure, yeah. Um, well, you know, as, as parents, we hear about these ideal qualities we want in our kids. We want um, resilience. We want focus and uh, strong uh, you know strong memory. We want them to be calm. Um, and we get a lot of advice from psychology, um, is the psychology of grit and resilience. Um, you know, we're supposed to praise effort and not effort and not results, embrace failure, uh, listen better, that sort of thing. And I buy into all of that. I think it's wonderful. Uh, but in addition to the psychology, I'm also really curious about all the sort of um, the subtle, natural, under-the-radar forces that underlie grit. And um, to me, that has included the microbiome. Um, micronutrients, um, nature, exposure to nature, um, body awareness, things like that. Uh, so my so my two daughters and I sort of experimented. We spent a year experimenting with everything from our gut microbiome to um, nature immersion, um, different types of foods with um, certain nutrients and forms of exercise and things like that. Um, so the whole book is structured like a, a one topic per month for a year. And each each month we had a different focus. Now we should just say for those who are, are science mm-hmm. buffs, this is obviously not a, a double blind controlled study that you're no <laughs> you, you had a had a theory and you're trying it out with a sample size of two or three and uh, and you're you're going forward from there. So you know one one I guess needs to take your conclusions with a grain of salt, but they are interesting nevertheless. I mean, you know, these are yes. It's the other. I mean, there. This. What I liked about this is the frustrating thing. I, I read an awful lot of studies. It's just part of my quirkiness, I suppose. But the frustrating thing. You, know, you read a study about how vitamin D is supposed to be good for you. 
but nobody says exactly how much and how you right. how you measure it or where you get it. Is it better to get it by standing outside in the sun, or are you better off taking a vitamin D supplement from Costco, or you know some of the things that you taught that you talked about with you know, blueberries and things like that? Um, it's it, so figuring those things out must have been the most fun of it all, I guess, is like, how much do you need to have before? Well, that's exactly, you know. yeah, so the, yeah, that's exactly it before. Do, do any of these scientific studies that we read about really apply to us? Do they have any meaning? Um, I mean, I, 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 all of them are drawn from actual scientific studies. Um, and, um, you know, some of them are, are mice only, but uh, with a microbiome. And then there are a few human experiments. Um, like, for instance, the ones on, uh, with yogurt and um, uh, lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, things like that. Um, so, and there are just a few human studies. So we sort of copied the human studies. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's start with one of those because that's one of the ones that, I mean, almost all of these things are things that bugged me that, you know, because you, you hear so much about probiotics and there's this kind of yogurt has got some probiotics or you go to the, mm-hmm. the pharmacy and you can get 30 or 40 different types of, of probiotic supplements and some of them have 20 different strains and some of them have 50 different strains and some of them have, you know, 10 billion. It's just, it's complete mm-hmm. insanity. And nobody has been able to explain to me with any accuracy <laughs> or any confidence even what which of the strains of probiotic bacteria you need and how much of this so let's talk about right. that what what did you find so uh, you know i don't think anyone knows for sure especially in kids right so it's all it's all frontier stuff um we made our own yogurt at home um with the strains that i that i i saw in studies that i thought we would you know we we actually i actually went on the internet and found um Found the starters for uh, strains of bifidobacteria like uh, Bif Brev and Bif Longum seem to be in a bunch of studies with, with good effects. Um, I found a, a culture it's called Genesis and imported it from Bulgaria. Who knows? Um, it's all experimental. There's really no there's no prescription here. Um, but if you go to the supermarket, too, a, a supermarket brand like Stonyfield has a bunch of uh, you know different strains of Bifidobacteria and lactobacillus. So, you know, I there's no there's no formula. Um, we experimented with you know what I, what I with what I saw in the study, and we made our own yogurt, and that itself was sort of a science science experiment too. Um, well, how did you feel about ordering something from Bulgaria, which probably <laughs> has somewhat more lax health standards than we do? I would guess. I mean, I'm not sure. They've been using this stuff for, for um, you know, th- these strains have been with us for for centuries. Um, they they came just as well packaged as anything American. Uh, it's a brand called Genesis, so I thought, whatever it's worth. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, we, we didn't get sick. I can say that much. Okay. And what were the effects besides the cool factor um, of making your own yogurt? Yeah, that was, well, you know, again, there's nothing, with the yogurt experiments, I thought I could see a difference after they started to eat this yogurt for a while. It seems that there were fewer frustrations and tantrums. The one uh, stress point um, uh, for my daughter at that age was um, playing violin, which is very stressful for a young child um, to hold the bow just right and, and, and play the rhythms just right. 
and um, after several weeks of yoga, she she seemed to have less anxiety about it. She seemed to have fewer tantrums. Is it because she expected the yogurt to to help her? Maybe she was on board in this experiment. So there's nothing, there's no blind study here. Um, but it was interesting to experiment with. And um, in the mice experiments, of course, mice have you know less anxiety with probiotic strains. So there's a, there's a science that explains why um, these cultures might um, might reduce anxiety. Um, in humans, I don't think it's really been tested well enough yet because um, hum- there have been no studies on on anxious anxious humans, um, except for um, there was one study out of Asia. It was interesting with medical students who were about to take um, a stressful exam, and they found that the students who drank the probiotic yogurt for a few weeks before the test, they had lower stress hormones. Their cortisol levels hmm. were lower, and they didn't get sick. Their immune systems were stronger. And where was that? Uh, so that's what, that's what, that, was in, uh, that was in Asia. Well, that's interesting because in, in Asia, they had, they're more likely to be lactose intolerant than uh, other places. Although it's that... fermented. It's a fermented drink, so I think that makes a difference. Oh, okay. Okay. That's pretty cool. Um, so that was pretty cool, and that was encouraging. Um, another one at UCLA, in which you know, people ate two servings a day of probiotic yogurt in a blind study. Um, they said they felt a greater sense of calm and, again, anxiety lower. Um, but there have been other studies that in humans that show that there isn't any um, difference <laughs> of in anxiety. So you go back to... Um, but again, there have been no studies on, on, on clinical levels of anxiety in humans and the effects of uh, probiotics, to my knowledge. I think that is yet to be explored. So, again, it's all frontier stuff. It's interesting, though. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, I think one of the other areas, I mean, we'll talk about a lot more of them, but you have a chapter called Let Them Eat Mud Cakes. And, and I have talked endlessly about this idea that you know, we're finding out mm-hmm. now that antibacterial soaps are just not good for us, that they're, they're helping us to, to create these bugs that are, are much more powerful because our, and plus our immune systems are not learning how to deal with things like, you know, what I did crawling around and eating potato chips out from under my bed that <laughs> it had been there for who knows how long. Of course, I, I also ate a piece of a broken light bulb, but the, you know, the, the, the dangers, I can't recommend that. that I don't know, probably eight, <laughs> seven or eight, maybe. <laughs> Smart enough to have known better, but just, <laughs> I suppose. But, you know, so to, talk about that a little bit for just a second, because we're coming up on a break, but I want you to just introduce the oh, idea. Sure, and we'll sure. get... Yeah, there's a new field that sort of explores environmental microbiome, uh, soil bacteria, and how it might influence our health and state of mind, and uh, beyond just, just health, but you know, physical health, but mental health. And uh, you know, some bacteria that researchers are exploring um, or can also be natural antibiotics um, or used in other me- medications. Um, so one field of interest right now is to isolate soil bacteria that's effective in killing our pathogens. And maybe if they can isolate those, they could turn them into pharmaceuticals. I'm talking with Jenna Pincott, who's the author of Wits, Guts, Grit, All Natural Biohacks for Raising Smart, Resilient Kids. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking to Jenna and have her finish up about eating mud and other things. I'm Armin Brat. You're listening to Positive Parenting. My son Casey was a bright, fearless 20-year-old with a boundless future ahead of him. But in the blink of an eye, he was gone. While out riding a skateboard, Casey fell. He was not wearing a helmet. Our whole family wishes he was. 
that could have saved his life. I'm Captain Kevin Raffelli of the San Mateo Police Department. Parents, encourage your kids to strap on a helmet every time they jump on a bike, scooter, or skateboard. Think of my son Casey and use your head. Put a helmet on. It could save your life. A message from the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Jenna Pincott, the author of Wits, Guts, Grit, All-Natural Biohacks for Raising Smart, Resilient Kids. And we were just talking about the, the importance of, of eating things that you wouldn't think of as food. Yeah, so so in the environment, there's one microbe in particular. It's been studied um, in some depth. Um, it's called M. Zaki. It's a mycobacteria. It's formed in, um, it, it's found in plant matter. And um, we come into contact in it, with it by touching, um, eating plants and grasses. Uh, we breathe it in when we're in nature. It's in, it, comes, it can get in little cuts in our skin. Um, when we breathe it in our airways, our um, immune system, our immune cells encounter it. They react to it quickly. Um, it's thought that its effects on us would be faster than that of uh, even gut microbes. Hmm. So um, in, in experiments, this Mbaki uh, has been has some interesting effects um, on mice experiments and, and human experiments too. For instance, in, in a lab study of cancer patients um, who took this microbe in pill form, they found uh, that it didn't help their, their cancer, but they were more content or happier, calmer. Um, in the mice experiments, the mice completed mazes faster, you know, circuits faster. And one theory is that the microbe um, decreases anxiety and at the same time increases focus. Um, so this, this this was very compelling. Um, and just recently, um, like within the last few weeks, there's been more more research on this. Um, uh, the idea that Mbaki could could be like a stress vaccine someday. If there's a way to make it, to package it, its health-promoting properties, it could be like a, a stress vaccine that people like first responders could take that we might help them uh, reduce anxiety, people mm. who are otherwise chronically stressed. We can imagine another context too. So I think this, this frontier is, is really interesting. Um, yeah, it's and, fascinating. Uh, and Vaca is not the, only, not the only one too. There are many, many, um, as these researchers say, there are many others like it out there that just haven't yeah. been found yet, but um, they're, they're interested in exploring that too. You know, one thing that you talk about is uh, magnesium, and that's something that mm-hmm. is just now beginning to be a little bit better known, is that we're, we're realizing that a lot of people are magnesium deficient and that magnesium helps you, if, that if, you're, if you're deficient in magnesium, you're not going to be absorbing calcium as well as you should, so that's going to have all sorts of effects on, on lots of other parts of the body. What did you find out, or what, what, was, let's see, what was the thing that you were trying to investigate, and then what did you find out? Well, I, I, I was first I was a bit of crisis when I found out that our fruits and vegetables contain up to 50% um, less magnesium and other nutrients than they did you know, two generations ago. Um, that was disturbing. And, and one big reason for it is that the soil our food is grown in, it's not as mineral rich as it used to be um, due to fertilizers and herbicides. And, um, hmm. you know, the, the soil microbiome is not the, what it once was. Um you know, there are lots of other reasons too, like uh, vegetables that are picked early, and the supermarket varieties are, are chosen for hardiness, not nutrients. And um, but again, the soil I think has a lot to do with it. 
So as a result, most kids and adults are magnesium deficient. And um, when I started to investigate what that meant, I found there were all sorts of terrible outcomes like um, memory loss and inattention. Um, kids get a little bit spacier. They find it hard to organize their thoughts. I mean, I'm sure there's a whole spectrum of magnesium deficiency, um, but um, it does affect learning. Um, and maybe there's, there's some clinical levels I realize that um, many of us have, many kids have that we're not just not even aware of yet. But um, did you have your kids tested for some of these things to see whether they were deficient in, in magnesium? It's, it's very hard to test for magnesium. You can't take a blood test. It's just it's not the same as other tests. Uh, I basically just assumed that we were magnesium deficient um, because most Americans are, and um, my kids, I, I fear, just aren't eating enough vegetables or enough healthy vegetables and foods. Um, so I, I sort of based the, I assumed that we were. I didn't. I did not get them tested. Um, but I, I think, uh, first of all, there's no harm in, um, I think, making assumptions that we're all a little bit magnesium deficient and, and uh, finding ways to get more magnesium is a good idea. And um, how did you do that? Naturally so or, or taking you, taking supplements? Yeah, I, I for a bit of both. Um, if you need about a th- 130 milligrams a day for uh, little kids, like 48, and um, older kids, about 240 milligrams a day, so I started to give them, well, you know, it's part of our, you know, great uh, high fiber microbiome diet. Um, I was already giving, starting to give them more leafy greens, uh, which are high, very high in magnesium, uh, seeds, things like that. Um, but in addition to that, I was boosting their magnesium in a, in a topical form, in a form of a spray. Hmm. So before bed, I'd put it on the soles of their feet, and I still do whenever they really? can't sleep or they or they feel stressed. And the soles of the feet are the best place because it it actually stings a little bit the spray, um, but it it absorbs well. And um, even through all the calluses and everything, even through wow. the calluses, yes. Wow. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty potent. If you actually spray it on your stomach, uh, <laughs> you can or your armpits, it really stings. That's fascinating. Um, I mean, I know that there's expensive. magnesium salts yeah. that people. Oh, well, like an Epsom salt. So or, if you take you know, a, if you're much, yeah, if you take a bath, yeah. that's. Uh, I guess it must be absorbing through your skin also that way. Yes, yes, and um, I did this sort of regularly for the month, and and I they really did fall asleep faster. Um, you know, again. Is this placebo effect? Do they could they expect to fall asleep faster, and they fall asleep faster? Maybe, but I really do think there's something to it, and and that's um, I'm so glad we're on the magnesium program now. I think it's a healthier, yeah. uh, you know, it, it builds, you know, a, a little another little nudge toward greater resilience and health. Yeah. Well, what was the the thing that you found most surprising and most effective? Let's see. Most surprising, most effective. Um, I, um, you know, I was very interested in the. Um, we did an experiment with a proprioceptive movement, um, which is uh, which was found in some studies to link to to a better working memory, and working memory is that ability to juggle more, you know, more than one thing in your head at mind at the same time. So, you know, you need it when you're reversing directions or you're organizing things in your head or, or uh, even spelling the word, word world backwards. 
Mm -hmm. um, that's all working memory. And, um, and the kids who have strong working memory to do tend to do better in school. It's, it's a better predictor of success even than IQ. So anyway, I was very interested when I heard about these proprioceptive exercises, and that turned out to be um, like a natural movement exercise. Some people call it primal movement, like uh, climbing a tree or when you're navigating over and under things or squatting or leaping over logs or uh, things that require both balance and movement. And, um, and the thinking behind why the, there's a link between that type of exercise and working memory is that um, while all exercises is, in good, is good for you and they increase blood flow, that type of proprioceptive exercise is special because it activates two areas of the brain. There's the prefrontal cortex, um, which powers your working memory, and then the cerebellum, which helps us balance and coordinate movement. And, and the thinking is that the cerebellum, it feeds information to the prefrontal cortex and it helps predict and anticipate what will happen next. And hmm. that increases working memory overall. Uh, the researchers kind of compare it to running your brain on all cylinders. Anyway, I, I was very surprised when, uh, you know, I, I, I do think that it helps working memory. Uh, and I saw it in a different form from what the researchers were talking about. I saw, I saw it most in verbal fluidity. My, you know, my daughter, like a lot of kids, her, her, some of her speech, is, it kind of, sometimes it rushes and sometimes she stumbles over words or has a hard time getting an idea out. Sure. Um, but she's really silver-tongued after this sort of exercise. Hmm. I, th I thought that was really And surprising. where do you find out if you're interested in looking into that kind of exercise? Just look up proprioception? Propro yeah, proprioception or dynamic proprioceptive exercise, or, or some people call it primal movement or natural movement. Um, or they're all different terms for the same sort of idea. Hmm. And th there is a whole sort of uh, nature. You know, it's, it's hard to live in the city, so... It's a little more challenging for us. We don't have logs everywhere. We can't climb trees. Um, my daughter tried to climb a tree the other day in Central Park, and we got reprimanded. Um, oh. But uh, <laughs> it's better in, I don't even know where to go with that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Jenna Pincott's the author of Wits, Guts, Grit, All Natural Biohacks for Raising Smart, Resilient Kids. Jenna, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Before we go, a special thanks to the folks at Navy Federal Credit Union for supporting today's show. They've been proudly serving the armed forces, veterans, and their families for over 80 years. Federally insured by NCUA. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.